0: Jim Shoemaker and Steve Anderson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned
1: and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk
2: Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker.
3: Whether you're a baby, boomer, or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome. To today's program. We have a solid program lined up for you today, plenty of information and education. And as always, we're going to be answering some of your questions. Let me remind you, if you have a question, just text them to Jim J I M at 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or you can email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. You know, experience has taught us that successful investing requires. Discipline and patience When emotions run high as we See that they're running today, and we know that, the media and all the things going on, it's easy to lose your focus and your investment strategy, and all of a sudden, it becomes a problem. And those problems, for some people, is staying focused on their long-term goal, and uh, that's why we try to answer your questions. So, the question's from Jeff. He says, what does the near future look like? Are we in a recession? or Are we not in a recession? What's the economy look like? And I'm going to add this, is the summer rally... That's lasted for the last six weeks Over And uh, is it just running out of steam Are we going to have a terrible rest of the month Are we going to have a terrible September it's a, it's a question that I know a lot of people have, but we have an expert, Mr. Bob Dahl, with Crossmark Investments, and he is going to answer that. Coming up after him, later in the program, Steve Anderson will cover some mistakes that people make when they come to their investments and ways to avoid making those mistakes. But first, Bob Dahl, Chief Investment Officer with Crossmark Global Investments. Sir, welcome to the program. Thank you, my friend. So here's my question. Is the rally running out of steam, and what do you see as the near future when we look at the economy and the market, the nasty, nasty word, recession?
2: So good set of questions, uh, Jim. Look, let's, let's first look at what caused the rally, which may give us a good answer as to whether it's uh, running out of steam or not. Uh, remember, we had inflation rising, rising, rising. We said in our year ahead piece, we expect it would peak in the second quarter. Looks like it did. We got the July inflation number a couple of weeks ago, and um, <clears throat> that uh, uh, was off the bubble. We went from nine point something to eight and a half. Uh, still not an acceptable number, but the direction for the first time is the right direction. That caused people to say, huh, inflation's coming down. Maybe the Fed doesn't have to go as far as we think. Maybe we'll avoid a recession. I think I'll buy a few stocks. And that lasted for, as you pointed out, about six weeks. It had a big run. Um, S&P 500 was up a double-digit percentage. NASDAQ was up almost 20%. That's the, it's the biggest bear market rally we've seen since uh, the first of the year when the uh, bear market started. I think it's running out of steam because I think, all those thoughts that caused that person to buy stocks, it's a little premature. We've not conquered inflation. The economy is still slowing, and the possibility of recession is still out there, so we can't get ahead of our skis and think stocks are going to march straight higher.
3: One of the things that, I, Bob, I really want to know is, is this idea, you you know, you kind of, the media throws us this information, that information, and from your chair, it's a lot of noise. I mean, you got the bullish mindset that say, "Hey, the market looks great and running hard," and then you got the bearish that says, "Oh no, there's this cautionary, there's this problem, and all that." And how do you, when you make decisions? I mean, I'm just thinking of the how do you explain to the person out on the street that's thinking, "I want to make a good decision and making my investments." I need somebody, but you're making them every day. Explain Explain to our people listening, how does somebody who's making that decision deal with all the amount of noise you have to?
2: First of all, I shut the door. I turn off all the noise. And I try to be smart about analyzing a particular company I'm looking at to see if it belongs in the portfolio or looking at the portfolio overall, the macro is always changing. And we are in the environment uh, whereby the economy is slowing from, by the way, remember, the strongest economy we had uh, last year, 2021, since 1984. And when you get a strong economy, the next year is always slower. And so the question is how slow it will get, and the recession word comes back in. You can go deaf listening to all the noise, Jim, as you know, over the years, uh, and you have to just step back and say, what am I trying to do in my portfolio? How am I, in the case uh, that I manage other people's money, how am I going to serve this client? What are their objectives? And let's get the noise uh, out of the way, because we're not going to figure it out. I think what it's really suggesting, all that back and forth and cross currencies. We're probably in a choppy period, choppy for the economy, choppy for the markets.
3: How do you look at the Fed right now? I mean, you've got a mindset you heard recently from the FOB, you know, when they're in their minutes. They talked about some of them are still very hawkish. And, you know, but again, with inflation slowing down, is that good, bad? Or or what's your take with the Fed right now, Mr. Powell?
2: So I'd start by um, remembering how they spent too many months saying inflation was transitory as it just took off. So they lost some credibility. They have to rebuild their credibility. And so they're going to have to stay Stiff and strong when it comes to fighting inflation, they can't waver. They can't say, well, it's coming down there for it's probably going to be OK. No, they have to be out there and say they're fighting inflation. Inflation is an ugly tax on everybody and especially the lower working class. They're the ones that get hit hardest when we have an inflation, and so we have to get that inflation number down. So they have to stay strong and continue to raise rates. That's what we're expecting from the Fed.
3: Well, I think that's. Uh, I think it's good to hear what your take is, and I think that's important. Now, I, I, I just feel like that when you when you talk, you're talking about U.S. But I know also when you, when Crossmark Crossmark is Crossmark Global Investing. So, when, when as a chief investment officer for a firm like Crossmark, when you talk about global, what's your take? Is there is there some weak spots in the global world? Is I mean, there's issues that you are concerned about. What do you say?
2: Yeah, let's keep it simple. There are three big blocks uh, in the world, Um, the, the, the U.S., Europe, and Asia, in particular China and Japan. The U.S. is the strongest of those three blocks at the moment, even as we slow down. Europe is struggling because they have population declines in too many countries, which is a headwind for growth. And then you layer the Russia-Ukraine war on top of it. Fears of astronomical prices for uh, oil and gas in the cold, cold winter, uh, and or the absence of supply, what am I going to do? And and so they're struggling. And then China in particular, has had another uh, lockdown as it relates to COVID. So they've basically shut down parts of their economy again. So we've got a world that's struggling with uh, economic growth.
3: You know, and I, that makes a lot of people think, I mean, when you look at the investments and how we put things together, and I know from what you do and how you go through that process, again, I talked about the noise, you so well explained that to us. But at the end of the day, if you could summarize for the for that investor, I mean, we, we as a firm use people like you because... We feel like you guys are in the trenches every day. And as you said, it's managing the noise. You're not listening to the media. You're bottom up. You're not top down. You think long term. And I well, I think it's important for you, the listener, to know that when you've got somebody like a Bob Doll working, he's not just out there on occasions thinking about this. I've spent enough time with Bob. Bob, you're engaged in the market. When the market's running, you're engaged fully in what's happening. I've watched you, my friend. And I appreciate that from you because that's what you do every day now i know you've got a team and you got a lot of people around you but can you give us a summary of what you see and how you can help us understand the rest of the year the question originally is the you know is the bull running does it over is the rally over and then the second part of that question is what do you see for the next six months 18 months five years
2: yeah, so um, let, let's start with uh, a, a postscript to your observation. You're right. When you accept the responsibility to manage other people's money, you better be on the case. Um, that's your obligation. It's your um, moral obligation, if you will. So, yeah, um, those of us in the business better spend uh, a lot of time uh, working, listening, uh, thinking, writing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so near term, markets, uh, the economy is still slowing. The debate will be how slow does it get. And the answer will likely relate to how far does the Fed have to raise rates to fight inflation. The more they have to go, the more we're going to see a slowdown and the higher probability of recession. That's the question right now. So watch inflation, watch the Fed's reaction, and watch how the economy uh, reacts to, to all those sorts of things. Uh, that's, that's the the, the playbook um, with, without a whole lot of other things that are anywhere close to as important for the next uh, weeks and months. Um. So translate that to the, the bull mar is the bull market uh, rally uh, the bear market rally over as I said uh, at, at the front end probably uh, it's the market's tired it's run hard uh, from that June 16 low and probably going to take a pause here for a while uh, as people regroup and uh, stocks get back to a, a level that that makes more makes more sense in a slowing economy um, now we have to. figure Figure out: Do we successfully lower the rate of inflation? Uh, we had two percent. Inf- you and I even talk about inflation for years because it was two and nobody cared. Now all of a sudden, it's a big deal. Can we get it back to that? Uh, two, three, four percent zone uh, and be able to move on and and focus on growing our economy again. That's going to take months to figure out. So my guess is the stock market's going to bounce around. It'll have rallies and some people will get sucked in, but then it'll sell off and some people will panic. And I think we're just going to have a lot of sidewise chop here for the foreseeable future.
3: Wow, that's the volatility. And that's something we all have to deal with and and understand. And Bob, I appreciate you. I so much appreciate how you explain it to us and give us great insight. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful day, my friend. USM talk again in uh,
2: a few months. Goodbye. Yes, sir.
3: Absolutely. We'll be talking with Bob again because we'll get kind of an update from him about his 10 predictions. Bob has done this for I don't know how long, but uh, many, many years, and that's what's so important. He uh, kind of gives us an insight. I, I kind of wanted to ask him about the November elections, but I'm going to wait closer to November to ask him, because it's a moving target right now. I want to remind you, though, he mentioned NASDAQ composite index. It it's a market value weighted index, which measures the securities that are listed on the NASDAQ stock market. Just want to make sure that you know what the NASDAQ composite index is. Well, I want to come to the microphone, Mr. Steve Anderson. Steve uh, is a certified financial planner and person who's meeting with clients all the time. I mean, you really are one that I appreciate because you're listening to what Bob's saying, you're talking to clients, you're involved.
1: What would you say in summary from what you heard from Bob? Yeah, Jim, uh, I appreciate the question. The, the, the first thing I would say is I think it's really important as we think about what Bob was speaking of, to just remember what his role is compared to what my role is as a financial advisor, what a client's role is in interacting with their own investments and their portfolios. Bob is making decisions. I mean, he's got money coming in every day, money going out every day. He's got to make decisions what to do with dollars at all times. Our clients tend to place money into portfolios, place money into investment plans as a part of their financial plan. And what they're thinking about is how do I reach a goal? For most clients, the game is much different than it is for Bob. Bob has to make real-time decisions about what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, how that affects European energy companies, and then how that affects, in the end, what he does with the dollar that gets invested. For most of our clients, it's a lot of listening, and far less action. So I guess that would be the first. My, my first reaction to that question would be that.
3: That's a great thought because I mean I think the words reaction and the words action. That's a, that's that's a good because we I think when you hear the media, that's a that's an issue that a lot of people. Talk about, and, and so if you had to give us some, what we talked about earlier, mistakes that go on and how that leads into people making mistakes and you being the one person that I think, as you dialogue with clients, guiding them through not making those costly mistakes. And again, I could say if you went back to April of this year and the market's down 18, 19 percent, boy, you felt the pain the noise from the media, all those things going on. And all of a sudden you missed the July 6 run up to now. That's a that that's a mistake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. and and I can remember a couple, maybe maybe two months back or so, I was on here and we were talking. We were right in the right in the midst of the the yeah, nasty, the downtime, right? Yeah. and we were talking about how so often the biggest rallies actually occur during bear markets. So imagine imagine you're the investor that just threw in the towel about thirty days ago. So you know what? I've I've had enough, right? And and you miss this huge uptrend yeah. that Bob was just talking about, and now you're saying. You know what? I guess it's now. Now it's time to get back in. <laughs> and then what do you know? The 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 Fed raises rates, and we're in this weird good news is bad news is environment where you know a positive economic data makes the Fed makes everybody think the Fed's going to act stronger, which heightens the risk of recession in theory. And so you know the good news causes the bad news, and you and you got out in the low, and then you got in on the high, and then you, you it's it's just compounding the problem. And that and that's that we we actually call that following the herd. Yeah. And there are and there are in Entire investment philosophies built around that. If you've heard of momentum investing, just buying the things that are doing well. And there's one called contrarian investing. Which, ironically, these uh, the contrarian investors tend to be the smartest people in the room. You know, it's <laughs> like it's the, the trend is never the right trend. Let's do the other thing. But,
3: the smartest, as long as the market's doing what they think. That's it's supposed right. To be, that's yeah.
1: right. But it's all built around that that idea of, of following the herd.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. If you tuned in, my guest is Steve Anderson. Now we're talking about mistakes that investors make, and you, uh, you know, we do this. We, we don't mean to, but we're here to help you make that decision of what you're trying to do, how to keep from getting caught up in the news. The media doesn't mean to be constantly negative. Well, maybe they do. I shouldn't say that. They do mean to be negative because it gets you to come back and listen. And we're trying to say, okay, that means that you might miss out on being a, a successful investor because you are reacting. Bob talked about reacting versus acting and those are key. And now Steve's talking about that. I want to remind you too, that's coming up in the second half of the program. Shannon Dyson is going to be talking with us And he's going to talk about some things that you need to know about the health insurance industry and the reality of how inflation in the health insurance industry has stolen the American dream and what you are going to do about it. This is important. You don't want to miss that segment of the program. Steve, when you talk about following the herd, what are some of the rules that you would tell a person that says, okay, if I'm getting caught up in that I can feel it, how do you tell them not to do it? What are the rules that you would say you need to not do this?
1: Yeah. The, there's a book that was written by a gentleman named Simon Sinek. One of the best books I've ever read. Is he a cynic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and the book is called uh, Start With Why or Starting With Why. I can't remember. Start or Starting With Why. One of the best books I've ever read. And, and the number one rule of investing and probably the number one rule of conquering emotion in investing is simply understand the answer to this question. Why am I investing? Because for most people, you know, the idea is not I'm trying to beat the market. The idea is I'm trying to fund a successful retirement. I'm trying to send my kids to college. I'm trying to do X, Y, or Z. But for most people, it's not a game of beating the market. It's it's trying to get from point A to point B in our finances. And the market is just a tool. So the first thing would be Simply start with why and understand why you are investing.
3: And that's thinking long-term. As you said, right. retirement, college education, you know, great vacation. For whatever you're doing, you're thinking long-term. And that's, some people, it's like, what am I going to do for lunch today? That's about as far as we can go. Because the emotions can get so tense. I mean... I had a client to call me and in, uh, in, in, in basically in March, in, in April. In fact, it was April, first week of April. And you could sense it in his voice, the anxiety, the tension, the, I won't say fear because he's not that type person, but he was, you know, you know could just sense the angst, you know, yeah, the whole idea. Yeah. And I said, this is volatility. This is normal. Please understand that. Don't get caught up. What's your long term? And we, I asked him, just like you said, the why. I said, why are we doing this? How do you walk through it? And he begin to tell me and you can sense as he's
1: telling me why we're doing this, the calmness of reality set in. That's exactly right. And 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 it's funny we say long term investor. I'm a long term investor. Investor should imply long term. Yeah. If it's less than long term, it's <laughs> speculation. And that's not that's great. I mean really that 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 just remember that that long term investor, that is the same term.
3: Well, all right, we've talked about following the herd. Coming up, I want to ask you about, because it's kind of ties to this, that emotional side and how we solve the problem. Some rules about solving the problem of being that emotional investor. And that's important. So that's the question I want to come back when we take after the break. Because coming up is going to be Shannon Dyson, and he's going to answer the question. Give us some insight into how the insurance industry, by way of inflation has stolen the american dream boy i tell you that is so important stay with us i'm jim shoemaker this is talk money
0: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Neither asset allocation nor diversification guarantee against loss. They are methods used to manage risk. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index.
2: Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.
0: Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Bob Dahl or Crossmark Global Investments. The views and opinions expressed are those of Bob Dahl only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial
2: helping you make the most of your
3: money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And uh, my guest, Steve Anderson, we're talking about some fundamentals of investing and the reality being making mistakes and how that can really affect
1: your long-term plan. So, you have to know the why. Yeah, it's so important. Um, and, and, and not only just understanding what it is you're trying to do, but really the time horizon.
3: All right, let's talk about some fundamentals that I think you want. I want people listening to know. And you, how do you put things together? And we talk about diversification
1: and, and rebalancing and things that are so common, but yet so important. Yeah, that's right. So so in the world of emotion and investing, the mother of all uh, behavioral issues with investing is something called loss aversion. We all fear losses to the extent that we take action more than we are seeking gain. I say all, that's always an overstatement, but most of us have a an aversion to loss. So the, one of the best things you can do to manage emotion is simply the, the two things that you mentioned, diversification and asset allocation. So just by by way of definition, diversification is simply owning a lot of different things, But it's not just that. It's owning a lot of different things that act differently in different environments. That's the fancy words, correlation, if you hear that (laughs) word, right? So we like to use our fancy words. Um, And then the other one is asset allocation. And asset allocation is how do you take all those different pieces and put them together into a portfolio that reflects your long-term goals. So it's the combination of diversification and asset allocation. Those are just the best tools to most investors.
3: You know, you talk about it and I can sense your passion about, these are just fundamentals of investing. Mistakes people make and how to avoid them. And you've gone through the idea of all of this just to simply say, know your why and stay the course. That's right. That's That's right. That's a powerful thought process. I appreciate what you do. If you'd like to talk to Steve, his telephone number is 901-757-5757. Steve Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. And I appreciate that. I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. Well, coming up, let me say this. I've got a guy here that's going to talk about a subject that is so important. In fact, Steve's going to stay with us as we kind of get into this. Now, listen to me. This is important. Healthcare inflation has stolen the American dream. And and this is going to be, I mean, it's so out of control. And Shannon Dyson, who is the vice president of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions, is going to guide us through a mind change that's going to take place in the industry. Shannon, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me back, Jim. Yes, sir. I, uh, I think it's important that we talk about this when we say healthcare inflation. I want to talk about that healthcare. The insurance premiums—they're—they're they're expensive, but for us to say the stolen American dream—that's a big statement. And we're not trying to throw anybody under the bus. It's just the fact that. It's a real thought, and i like I like the term transparency. But if I simply say "stolen the American dream," what does that mean, Shannon? Yeah, I think when you when you look at
4: it, there's been several studies, but Pew Research um, had a study out uh, last year that said after you adjust for uh, inflation, today's average hourly wage is just has just about the same purchasing power as it did in 1978. Uh, and so that's first of all, it's twice as long as the Great Depression. Um, but you know, and it's not even saying. Employers are not paying their employees more money than they were in the '70s. Uh, matter of fact, they're paying employees of total cost of compensation more than sixty percent more than they were paying in the '70s. Right,
3: you got to say this again. I mean, that's a big statement. So Pew Research says that as far as purchasing power, yep, purchasing power, right, same as '19. That's same a long time ago.
4: So that's a long time ago. Um, and again. We're not saying that employers aren't paying their people more. We're just saying that they're paying 61% more than they were in the 70s. So, so every I,
3: employer that's listening right now says, hey, I am paying hey, more, and correct. they know
4: that. Yeah, but it's total compensation. It's health care benefits. And so I guess you could say that health care ate your pay raise if you are a <laughs> uh, uh, in, the, in the middle class in the workforce. But what it's led to is what you would call the functionally uninsured American worker.
3: Okay. Functionally, that's a big statement. Functionally uninsured. Are you saying that the American worker doesn't have health insurance or they're not using their health insurance? What do you mean functionally uninsured? Well, that
4: that 20 plus years of wage stagnation um, has basically said that it it translates to 60% of the workforce making less than $20 an hour. Uh, and if you look at different studies, it'll say that they say that uh, the American or average American worker has less than $1,000 in savings, but 50% have higher than a $1,000 deductible. So if you have less than 1000 in savings, but your deductible when you actually have to access your health care is more than $1,000, you are considered functionally uninsured at that point.
3: So the listener, we're talking to you, when you say this, you're saying, bottom line, per hour, greater than 50% of the households have less than $1,000 in their savings account. And I understand that. We talk about that all the time on the program. And they have a deductible that's $1,000, all of a sudden they have to go to the hospital. Well,
4: today a $1,000 deductible is considered it's low. Low? Yeah, yeah I I mean, absolutely. What are you seeing average deductible for people? Uh, 2500 is is today probably a pretty good deductible for an employer, uh, but we see a lot of $5,000, $6,000 so, so deductibles that's for sure. So a
3: person that's got to go to the doctor on a regular basis or somebody that's got a disease and all of a sudden, whatever it is, or an accident or whatever, all those. Th- I guess accident's a little different, but something that's going on. I mean, that first $2,500 is coming out of their pocket, and that's part of their cost. When you think
4: about it, the reason they'd be considered functionally uninsured is because you're scared to go. You're scared to go to the doctor. You're scared to go to because you're, you, they may tell me to get a test that I can't afford. Uh, so you don't use this insurance that you're paying for because you can't afford to use it.
3: So the functionally uninsured, what's what, What's the results of that? So you, well, you have uh, you have illnesses
4: that are not caught early uh, that that will la- that go on and things that you could have uh, stopped uh, in the very beginning stage. Now ha- has gotten so bad that it's going to cost a lot more, which does nothing to help the the problem that we see with healthcare inflation and pricing uh, because we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars for surgeries that maybe they never needed to actually happen.
3: Well, my guest is Shannon Dyson. We're talking about well, you just mentioned the functionally uninsured, but the reality is healthcare inflation has stolen the American dream. And that's so critical. I mean, you, it's you, there's more dollars going into the system. The employer feels the pain. They're paying more. But in reality, it's just not coming into our pockets. What about bankruptcy and medical bills? What, I mean, that's a big issue. We see that all the time.
4: It's another stat that, that we ran across. We were talking about it earlier. And it, it really is... It'll blow your mind to think that, you know, I forget the percentage of bankruptcies that are caused by medical bills, but it's a pretty high percentage. Uh, But of those that are caused by medical bills, 70% of those folks actually had insurance. So you would think, well, if you have insurance, you're protected from any type of medical bankruptcy. But the truth of the matter is deductibles are so high. Um, They've had, there are so many uh, different changes that they've made within networks uh, if you go out of network and you get a large bill, um, these are people that are filing for bankruptcy, but they actually had health insurance.
3: As you're talking about this, I guess, Shannon, you're talking about the Pew Research that's really throwing, I mean, this is a ton of information. That's incredible, you know, survey that we're Absolutely. talking about. So it's not something that you're just, people are throwing numbers out. I know you wouldn't right. do that, but the, this is Pew Research is doing this. I so. mean, it sounds like it. it I mean, when
4: you, when you think mean, about numbers, just,
1: it looks, sounds like you're just making I, these oh numbers up. Goodness, you're making <laughs> these numbers up. I'm just yeah. trying to get over the fact that, you know, as a 42-year-old male, there's never been a wage increase in my life <laughs> because <laughs> of because of health insurance. I just, this is mind-blowing. <laughs> well, you know,
3: hey, what, what can I say? The problem is, guys, this is real. I mean, whether we like it or not, healthcare inflation is stealing the American dream. I don't want to preach that, but the reality is, it's in our face. Well, and when it's you look, gotta when, change. When you
4: look at uh, the the Pew study, also, it showed the graph, and the graph is probably the the thing that will grab your attention. Is you see uh, total cost of employment for employers, and that is going steadily up, uh, and you see actual wage, and it's flat. And so, when you see something like that, it, it tells the story that. You know, it's not that we are spending less. Uh, employers are spending less. It's just that healthcare inflation has gotten so out of control, and employers want to offer a health plan for their employees, and it's just becoming it's becoming too expensive.
3: You know, this is not your first radio. You've been doing this for twenty years, and basically all your adult life. And this is an industry, and your dad is in the same business. And so the reality is, you've been around this healthcare industry your entire, you know, basically your entire life. And the reality is you've been watching this, and this is a passion for you to simply say we've got to make a change. We've got to do some things. So in the remaining part of the program, I want you to kind of tell us what do you think of the things that need to happen, and how can you and and the firm and people just play a part to get out of this loss of the American dream?
4: Yeah, I, I tell my dad all the time. Thanks a lot for getting me into this business. <laughs> that's I really, right. I really, that's good. I really appreciate that, Dad. Thanks so much. <laughs> but there, you know, there's two, there's two good pieces or quick pieces of good news. And and the first one is that honestly, healthcare isn't expensive. That may sound like I'm going against what I what I just said a few minutes Steve, ago. Steve, did you hear him <laughs> say that? I mean, yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm scratching my head over here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, but, what? Uh... But actual <laughs>
4: healthcare isn't. I mean, the the healthcare professionals, the clinicians, they are they're only receiving twenty seven cents out of every dollar that is spent on healthcare. So actual care is not expensive. Uh, What what is expensive is price gouging, profiteering, administrative bloat, and fraud, which is all within our system today. And that is what is causing the outrageous prices that we're seeing.
3: You just said some words that are just knocking
4: you people off the chair. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes you just have to call a spade a spade. You know, you just do. <laughs> I mean,
3: that's reality. Gouging, price gouging, profiteerity. That sounds like the mob. Administrative, I mean,
4: administrative bloat, that's a huge one. I mean, you think about all of the administration that we have within the healthcare system today, um, and it's, it's gotten out of control. But the, the second piece of good news is that we're already investing in, in, in more than enough money uh, that the American worker should have a world-class health system. So the money is there. It's being invested. We just have to rearrange some things to make sure that we're actually taking care of people's health in, instead of uh, not you know, diagnosing things early and then spending a lot more money later on.
3: If you like I am, you've just probably fallen off your chair or you pulled <laughs> off the side of the road and you feel sick when you think about that our health insurance is price gouging, profiteering, administrative bloat, fraud, all of the above. But I like what Shannon said. We're already investing more than enough money to fund a world-class healthcare system. If you'd like to talk to Shannon, 901-757-5757. He is an expert in this area, knows what he's talking about. And Shannon, I want to kind of ask you, what would you, what are some things that you would say to the employer and the employee? I mean, you know, there's things that they can do. What can the person, let's just talk about the employee first. What are things they should do, but what should the employer do? Yeah, for the
4: employer and the employee. It really starts. The first step is, is having a mindset shift. Uh, we have to learn how to be liberated from the status quo. And so the status quo is 5 to 20% annual cost increases year over year, and believing that that's just what we should have to do. Uh, and not listening to the people that are saying that they make healthcare sound like it is so confusing. Like it's if if you can solve this problem, you can solve the Middle East crisis. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. This is it is not very it is not confusing when you start looking at the different pieces. So it's just understanding and and being open to change. So the mindsets mindset shift and being open to change is the is the first step.
3: So what you're talking about is a mind shift mindset shift, and that's yep. that's a oh, mouthful to the say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, but the, I understand that. So if by doing that, am I really Changing the, I mean, the average increase for health insurance today, pretty much. If you talk to any person, it's going to be somewhere between five and twenty percent every year.
4: Yeah, my experience over the last, you know, ten to fifteen years in the in the small group market, uh, trend is what the uh, annual increase of cost of doing business is somewhere between ten and twelve percent, uh, and then you may get some reductions if you had a really healthy year.
1: But ten to twelve percent is pretty average. And it, just listen to this, Shannon. We were talking about this. Before and and it you know it kind of goes goes back to that start with why idea that it, it sounds like what's happened in the industry if, you know not pointing fingers but just talking about the way things evolve is that employers started picking up more and more of the burden for creating a healthcare provision for for their workers yeah, to attract
4: and new new employees that's yeah. right that's yeah. right
1: and of course you compete on the fact of you have one of the lowest premium one of the lowest deductible and so this this whole system evolved to produce that outcome. Whereas it sounds like what we've got to do is go back to the drawing board and say, okay, how do we create the best outcome for for the client or, or the insured on the back end? So, so it sounds like we're almost at a place that's a natural evolution of what we were solving for, which was the wrong problem.
4: Yeah, and it goes back to, and not being political in, in any way uh, at all, but the, the discussion over are we providing health care or are we providing health insurance? And and those there are two completely mm-hmm. different things. So if our goal is to provide care for people, um, is health insurance the best way to do that? I, I, there are ways to do that that are different, um, but that's, I think you're right. Solving for that outcome is the outcome to provide health insurance
1: or is the outcome to provide care for, for people? I think that is profound. The difference between providing health care and health insurance. I mean, that-, that- yeah, it's that's combined. Such a People, paradigm.
4: It's it's used today when you hear politicians and you hear the news media talking about it. They use them as the same thing. Uh, yeah. Health insurance equals health care, uh, and that's just not the case.
3: I've heard you mention the term employer bill of rights. Does that fall into this mindset? Is that what you're saying there for our listener? I mean, the person, when you're driving down the road and you're thinking about this, the employer bill of rights, It kind of, okay, what does that mean? Would you explain that to yeah. my friend who's listening? That
4: goes to the, to the second step in, in optimizing your health plan infrastructure. And it, and it starts with having an advisor uh, that is focused on the same interests that you have as an employer. We want to provide those proper uh, compensation disclosures. We want to make sure that you as the employer know that you have rights that your advisor should be looking out for your best interests, whether that means bringing a a normal uh, everyday insurance company to the table or changing up how your plan is made. But just again optimizing those plan structures and knowing what your rights are as an employer.
3: So when you talk about that that's yeah that's stepping out of the mind you back through your mind shift, right. it's ste- stepping out of the current paradigm and changing the way you think. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. That's a big deal. Goes back to what, you know, Steve say that
1: again. Insurance and health. Yeah, providing health insurance which is kind of the current mindset right. versus providing health care. care. That's
4: huge. That's huge. Yeah, it I think I think uh, having that discussion with because employers at the end of the day, what are they concerned with? They they want their employees to be healthy. They want that to happen. And right now, the the vehicle is a health insurance plan. But if we can bring to the table some different options and be creative we can actually show you a better way to care for your employees.
3: All right. I've heard you talk about this before, and I think it's important that you share this with the people listening. Carving out the pharmacy benefit manager. Now, yes. That's a term that, honestly, until you told me about it, I had never thought about it, but it's a real person.
4: Yes, and, and that is the, the third step. So when you're talking about a normal fully insured health plan, meaning you pay a premium to the insurance carrier, they take care of all of the claims, You you, prices, uh, uh, prices increase the next year, you pay a new premium. When you carve out the pharmacy manager, what that means is we are taking the pharmacy out of the health plan. And what that does, there are manufacturer rebates that are given every year to the insurance carriers. When you carve that out, now the employer is actually getting those manufacturer rebates back to their plan. So if you are self-funding a plan, which is what this is, when we break apart a fully insured healthcare plan, what that means is that you as the employer are self-insuring your employees. There are safeguards put in place so that we know that you can't spend over a certain amount of money. There are some insurance products in there. But the main part of the the pharmacy carve-out, carving that out, is you are now going to get 100% of those manufacturer rebates back into your plan to help you afford better care. That reduces your cost. Absolutely. 100% it does. That's, yeah.
3: a, that's amazing. Just, just beginning to pull it apart... Go back to health insurance versus health care and how we manage that, giving a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot more control to the employer. And it can be scary as an employer to think about
4: self-funding or self-insuring. And I think that that word, when you have a smaller employer, say 50 to 75 employees, they may think, we're too small to self-insure. But the truth of the matter is there are ways to put safeguards around a plan of 50 employees so that we are making sure that those employers are not spending more than they can afford to spend. Um, And there's ways of moving, taking that plan and saying three to five years in the future, we can actually move you to even further self-insurance because we've got now we've got savings. We've got savings year over
1: year. Jim, you know, listen to this. I've I've always been a proponent that we should have financial education as like a graduating requirement for (laughs) seniors in high school and in college. And I feel like we ought to have a health insurance like specialty because this is complicated. I mean, there's no easy way into this There there has to
4: be, I agree. And and when you look at the different components and not understanding uh, fundamentally what causes everything to, causes prices to increase, You cannot fix it if you don't know what's causing it. And so that's nobody really understands or knows what's causing it. Once you understand it, the fixes are pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward, but it's the I don't know what's causing it.
3: You know, I know there's some others. I know there's yeah. you talk. Can you briefly, I mean, just in a matter of seconds here, you yes. got to talk about two more of these things that you say are important. I'll go fast. So the first step is
4: add uh, value-based primary
3: care. Value-based
4: primary care is all about understanding the patient, understanding their problems, understanding their issues, being able to spend thirty to forty-five minutes with them in your office instead of a ten-minute quick visit. Oh you know, I'm sick. I need to. What what's wrong with me? And, and in ten minutes, you're in and out of there. And then the doctor's office has to spend the forty five minutes they should have spent with you on paperwork to file claims to the insurance carrier. So well, that is value such based, a problem. Value based primary care has to happen. Uh, and then the fifth step is the leaving behind the PPO network. Uh, the PPO network Ooh, what did you just yeah, say yeah i know i know I, i'm i'm really stepping <laughs> oh, in here oh. i'm really stepping in here that just shook everybody up I am I could taking just your, your nades on air here <laughs> i'm throwing i'm taking your ppo <laughs> network away from you uh, but the truth of the matter is that that ppo networks reimburse 260% of of medicare allowable rate and that's 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 expensive now i understand and realize that there are many physicians and hospitals that believe that the Medicare reimbursement rate is, is not enough, um, and they complain about that. I understand that, uh, but do we need to be 260% more than the Medicare allowable rate? I think there's some room in between there to, to save some money. And so there are, all, there are alternatives to having a PPO network that can actually pinpoint the best physicians, the best hospitals, the best facilities to have these procedures done. And
3: you've told me that sometimes we think best does not always mean best. I mean, it can't, you know, what I'm saying. Just because it's less
4: expensive uh, at a facility does not mean that that facility is less than. Uh, There there are many, there's plenty of uh, data, uh, there's plenty of data out there that shows that many times the lowest cost facility can have the highest outcomes. Uh, We just have to be privy to the information.
3: Shannon Dyson, you are an advocate for the employer and the employee when it comes to health care. Yes. That's critical in this whole thought process. I know you've been working on this a long time. This is not just a movement that you're involved in. And this is a national movement. It is going to change Absolutely. change the way we think about health insurance. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. You've given us great information. I'll have you back because I know there's a lot more that you can explain to us. Steve Anderson did a wonderful job, Fundamentals of Investing and How to Avoid Mistakes. Thank you both, guys. Thanks, Jim. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it, thank you Appreciate you, man I want to thank them They did a good job Bob Dahl did a good job If you want to talk to any of these guys 757-5757 Area code nine zero one seven five seven five seven five seven. You can find our show, Talk Money On Apple Podcasts, Spotify Or wherever you listen to podcasts Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker And subscribe to the podcast And leave us a review If you have questions And want them aired on the air Or would like for us to answer them Just type them, Jim, J-I-M To the text line 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or you can send them to talk money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. Next week, my guest is Jason Harrington and Scott Jordan. They're going to talk about pitfalls to avoid when it comes to making your investment decisions. Channing Smith will be here. He's going to talk about new tax legislation. Guess what? We're going to dive into a whole lot going on. He'll talk about some of the politics that we're looking at and how that infects us. That's Saturday morning at seven a.m. and Sunday at twelve noon, right here. We appreciate you being with us. That thanks to my producer Tyler Springs did a great job. Tyler, guest and content coordination Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant Lauren Norsworthy, compliance officer Tommy Armstrong and Kimberly Holtus. Thanks so much for listening. We're here for you every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
0: Jim Shoemaker and Steve Anderson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
2: Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. (laughs) you <laughs>